Many of you have asked for it, and so I spent some of my paternity leave creating it, an introductory stoicism course. The best part? I've launched it using Gumroad's pay-what-you-want model. So if you want to pay $0, you can get the course for free. That's right, free. Learn more and enroll in the course by going to understandingstoicism.com. That's understandingstoicism.com. I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform, and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it, and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which, from personal experience, I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Hello and welcome back to Practical Stoicism. I'm your host, Tanner Campbell, as usual, and I would like to remind you that, hey, if you'd like to get rid of ads and these little preamble speeches, you can do so by becoming a premium member, that is to say a premium listener of the podcast, and you can do that at stoicism.supercast.com. You'll get access to an ad-free version of the feed as well as a preamble version of the feed that will get you straight to the point to listening to these meditations. It is especially helpful for those of you who go back and listen to these over and over again. Sometimes it's nice to just jump right into the meditation instead of listening to what is the entirety of the episode all over again. There are some other benefits to becoming a premium subscriber as well to include access to a listener community and access to the AMA feature where you can submit questions privately and that I will answer privately back. Today we are covering the 16th meditation of book two. It is the second to last meditation of this book before I go on a mini 30-day vacation. I guess that's actually a pretty good vacation if I didn't have a day job. And then I will be back with book three sometime, you know, towards the middle of summer. That meditation, meditation 16, reads as follows. The soul of a man does violence to itself, first of all, when it becomes an abscess and, as it were, a tumor on the universe, so far as it can. For to be vexed at anything which happens is a separation of ourselves from nature, in some part of which the nature of all other things are contained. In the next place, the soul does violence to itself when it turns away from any man, or even moves towards him with the intention of injuring, such as are the souls of those who are angry. In the third place, the soul does violence to itself when it is overpowered by pleasure or pain. Fourthly, when it plays a part and does or says anything insincerely and untruly. Fifthly, when it allows any act of its own, 
and any movement to be without an aim, and does anything thoughtlessly and without considering what it is, it being right that even the smallest things be done with reverence and to an end. And the end of rational animals is to follow the reason and law of the most ancient city and polity. For me, mostly this reads like a dream. It is, I think, what we all believe in moments when we are at our best. The first item of the meditation says the human soul degrades itself when it becomes an abscess, a kind of tumor attached to the universe. Think of your potential. Imagine yourself as the best version of you and imagine all that version of you might be capable of. Now look at the opposite of that. Look at the worst version of you and imagine all the things that version isn't doing. Marcus is simply reminding us that we do a disservice not only to ourselves but to the world when we don't effort to be the best versions of ourselves. We shouldn't be sad that we aren't better. We should be sad that we aren't more impactful, that we aren't more helpful, that we don't have more utility. I've always found it useful to frame my lapses in ambition and focus like that, by saying, Tanner, stop being lazy and feeling sorry for yourself. This isn't about you. It's about everyone else. If you continue on like this, you'll not help anyone. And what could be a better use of my life than to make the lives of others better? And what could be a worse use of my life than not doing that? In the next place, the soul does violence to itself when it turns away from any man, or even moves towards him with the intention of injuring. We all know this too, right? We know that when we are angry enough to be cruel to another person, to do physical harm to another person, that we are not, in that moment, great at all. And how often have you said something mean, or done something mean, only to feel terrible about it the following day? Remember the early part of this book, of book two? Human beings are meant to work together, like the rows of teeth, upper and lower. Turning away from someone in need isn't that, and neither is bringing violence to someone you feel deserves it. Those are antithetical to the ideas of working together and participating in the world in a constructive way. The soul does violence to itself when it is overpowered by pleasure or pain. I'm going to go ahead and openly admit here that in my younger years, my 20s especially, I had many vices. I drank excessively, I partied almost daily, and at no point ever was there a morning I didn't wake up regretting the largest portion of my actions the previous day. What did I say? Did I make a fool of myself? Did I get in a fight? Did I hurt someone's feelings? How close did I come to jail or death? Why did I treat people that way? Did I think I was cool? That wasn't cool. That was wrong. And I'll give you a little story. We can have a little story time here about something that happened in Tanner's 20s. I had never taken Xanax before. I wasn't prescribed it on this occasion either, and I decided that I would take a, what we called at the time, a football of Xanax, which was a full pill, I don't remember what the milligrams were, and then I would drink a six-pack of beer as I would do on any night, and I didn't know about how those two things would interact. Well, I woke up half out of my car the next morning at the dead end of a street called Cadillac Drive in Lake Worth, Florida. You can probably find that on a map if you just go Google Cadillac Drive, Lake Worth, or Lantana, Florida. And there was a little rent-a-cop, one of those little community police officers, who was calling out to me. And he said, hey, hey, hey. And eventually I came too. And he asked if I was all right. And I kind of looked around, 
not remembering at all how I got into this position. And I said, yeah, I guess. And he said, what are you doing? And I didn't know how else to answer. So I told him I was sleeping. And he said, well, wake up and get out of here. And that's what I did. I never incidentally did that again because I was so scared by that experience that there were many, many hours which transpired that I had absolutely no recollection of. But that is an example of how a vice can really get a hold of you and, you know, put you in situations that you really shouldn't be in. And gosh, I could have regretted a lot more, right? I could have gotten a car wreck. Who knows what could have happened? And I guess the reason that I sometimes share these kinds of stories with you is because I don't want you to mistake me as a sage. Of course, I don't think you would. But I also don't want you to mistake me as some kind of goody-goody who didn't at one point live kind of a sin-filled, <laughs> vice-filled life because I absolutely did. But I would ask myself questions like the ones I said before almost every morning. But there's an addiction to it, right? To a life of individual fun and irreverence. It's so easy to get caught up in it and only regret it later, but then get caught up in it again the next weekend. I don't know why we do this. We as young men or we as humans, I'm, women have these stories as well, I'm sure. But I think it's because we haven't shifted our focus and thought about our potential in an outward fashion. For me, those good times, quote unquote, were all about me. And in the morning, I'd be empty again and I'd wonder why. It wasn't until I took a trip to Haiti in 2011 as part of a relief effort following that earthquake that I realized, as I said before, this life isn't mostly about what I can do for myself, it's what I can do to help others. The fulfillment and purpose that comes from having helped another person move forward or improve, as was the case for me in Haiti, is more than any selfish or self-indulgent action we could possibly take. For me, that trip to Haiti was like a seed. It still took a few years to pull myself out of bad habits and behaviors, but a beginning is a necessary thing. When it plays a part and does or says anything insincerely and untruly. As a teenager and well into my 20s, I'll spare you any additional stories in this episode, I spoke a lot of falsehoods. And that's just a nice way of saying I lied a lot. This was usually rooted in a self-conscious fear, but sometimes it was done to avoid trouble or judgment, right? Sometimes I'd tell lies about great things I'd done that I hadn't really done, and that was about me being self-conscious. But other times I would lie to my dad because I didn't want to get in trouble. And do you know what all that lying eventually does? It creates a reality you can't keep straight in your own head anymore. It eats you up. And the longer you go, the worse the crash is when it's finally too much. For me, that was kind of literal. It happened to me when I was 28, and I drove home in the middle of the night. It was probably 2 in the morning. After drinking nearly a gallon, and I'm not being hubristic here, it was actually a full handle of Captain Morgan Spice Rum. At that point, I was very proud of how much I could drink. I'm a big guy. I'm a Scottish guy. I could drink a lot if I want to, and back then, it was a big deal to me. It was kind of a point of pride. Anyway, that was part of this identity that I had built up. I had built up this version of me, even in my own head that wasn't real. I didn't want to be known for drinking. I wanted to be known for something much more important and better. But back then, I guess wanting people to think I was cool was more important. I wanted to be popular. 
And for me, that manifested as being a party guy who was invulnerable to alcohol and who did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. There was even, and I chuckle to remember this because of how absurd it is, I went to school in Tallahassee and I once went to a party where there were no cups left and I became the guy known as the guy who drank what remained of the grain alcohol out of a cast iron frying pan because there were no cups left. And yeah, that's funny. And yeah, everybody got a good joke out of it. And yeah, it's even a funny memory still today, but what was I thinking? And what benefit was I giving myself or providing to the world? None. Anyway, on the drive home, going back to the first story I started with, I fell asleep behind the wheel and I rolled my truck on a back road in Wellington, Florida. I was the only one hurt. In fact, I was barely hurt at all. I barely had a scratch on me. And it seemed like a miracle the morning after because the car had rolled. It went into a canal. It was absolutely trashed. No one who responded to the scene that night thought to test me for alcohol, and I dodged a life-altering bullet. I'd also, like I said, been very lucky to survive. Everything that led up to that moment was a result of me creating an artificial version of myself for the sake of my own ego and the appeasement of others. Marcus is right. I degraded myself. It's a dangerous thing to do. When it allows any act of its own and any movement to be without an aim and does anything thoughtlessly and without considering what it is, it being right that even the smallest things be done with reverence and with an ends in mind. Purpose is the only thing that allows an individual to escape a life of self-centered focus and nihilistic hedonism, as in nothing matters and it's all for fun. The moment you have a purpose that is greater than yourself, that is the first step to escaping what I've come to perceive as an incredibly unfulfilling sort of hell on earth. Because what can a person do to become fulfilled other than to be in service to their community? And if you're not doing that, then what are you doing? Thank you for listening to this episode of Practical Stoicism. If you enjoyed it, if you learned something from it, consider leaving a review of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or Podchaser.com. Again, if you'd like to get rid of ads and if you'd like to support the show, you can become a premium subscriber by going to stoicism.supercast.com and any support you can give, I would greatly appreciate. Thank you again for listening and until next time, take care. Take care.